0: Hey everyone, it's me, DB. Just reminding you, we have t-shirts in the show. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts, and stickers. Heck, we even got some shell curtains in there. Welcome to Late December, Early January. We've got The Color of Space by Marion Zimmer Bradley. This episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is brought to you by Copper Cow Coffee. Pour over Vietnamese coffee. Hey, whenever you get to go back to the break room, be the coolest person in the break room with some pour over coffee. Or... Impress your children like I do. Dusseldorf and Barbacoa. love watching me pour coffee into a thing and then dump that into a pint glass of ice. Uh... Yeah, they do. They, they find it fascinating, as 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 much as like when I like make creme brulee with a blowtorch. Uh, Color of space, Marion Zimmer Bradley. Uh, there's going to be quite a few of them. Should be about seven or eight episodes, and that'll bring us into the first week of January. Hope you're having a good 2022. Wow, it's such a future date. I didn't, I didn't... Anyway, uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your host, D.B. Spitzer. Check out the show notes. Find out how to help support the show. Go to pgttcm.com. Check out everything we have to offer. We're on Apple uh, Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube.
1: Check us out. The Colors of Space. Chapter 11. But although he had thought he had settled all the conflict, he found that it returned when he was lying in his bunk or when he stood in the dome and watched the stars while they moved through the Antares system toward the captive sun and the tiny planet Laryllis. It's in my power to give this to all men. Should a few Lari stand in his way? He lay in his bunk brooding, thinking of death, staring at the yellow radiation badge. If you fail, it won't be in our lifetime. He'd have to go back to little things, to the little ships that halt piddling cargo between little planets, while all the grandeur of the stars belonged to the lorry. And if he succeeded, Vega Interplanet could spread from star to star, a mighty memorial to Rupert Steele. One day, Varangil sent for him. Bartol, he said, and his voice was not unkind. "'You and Ring have always been good friends, "'so don't be angry about this. "'He's worried about you. "'Says you spend all your spare time in your bunk growling at him. "'Is there anything the matter, Feathertop?' "'He sounded so concerned, so... "'The word struck Bart with hysterical humor.' so fatherly that Bart wanted insanely to laugh and to cry. Instead, he muttered, Ring should mind his own business. But it's not like that, Vorongil said. Look, the Swiftwing's a world, young fellow, and a small one. If one being in that world is unhappy, it affects everyone. Bart had an absurd, painful impulse... To blurt out the incredible truth to Varangil and to try to get the old Lari to understand what he was doing. But fear held him silent. He was alone, one small human in a ship of Lari. Varangil was frowning at him, and Bart mumbled, It's nothing, Reikomori. I suppose you're pining for home, Varangil said kindly. Well... It won't be long now. The glare of the captive sun grew and grew in the ports, and Bart's dread mounted. He had, as yet, had no opportunity to put the radiation counter out of order. It was behind a panel in the drive room, and try as he might, he could think of no way to get to it unobserved. Sometimes, in sleepless nights, it seemed that would be the best way. Just let it go. But then the lorry would detect Montano's ship and kill Montano and his men. Did he believe that? He had to believe it. It was the only way he could possibly justify what he was doing. And then his chance came, as so many chances do when one no longer wants them. The second officer met him at the beginning of one watch, said worriedly, Bartol, old Rugel's sick, not fit to be on his feet. Do you think you can hold down his shift alone if I drop in and give you a hand from time to time? I think so, Bart said, carefully not overemphasizing it. The second officer, by routine, spent half of his time in the drive room and half his time down below in maintenance. When he left, Bart knew he would have at least half an hour uninterrupted in the drive room. He ripped open the panel, located the wires and hesitated. He didn't quite dare to cut them outright. He jerked one wire loose, frayed the other with a sharp claw until it was almost in shreds, and would break with the first surge of current, Pulled two more connections loose so that they were not making full contact. He closed the panel and brushed dust over it, and when the second officer came back, Bart was at his own station. As Antares fell toward them in the viewport, he found himself worrying about the Mentorians. They would be in cold sleep, presumably in a safe part of the ship behind shielding, or Montana would have made provisions for them. Still, he wished there were a way to warn Meda. He was not on watch when they came into the planetary field of Lorillis, but when he came on shift, he knew at once that the trouble had been located. The panel was pulled open, the exposed wires hanging, and Ring was facing old Rugel, shouting, Listen, Baldy, I won't have you accusing me of going light on my work. I checked those panels eight days ago. Tell me who's going to be opening the panels in here, anyhow. No, no, Rugel said patiently, I'm not accusing you of anything, only being careless, young Ring. You poke with those buzzing instruments and things. Maybe once you tear loose some wires. Bart remembered he wasn't supposed to know what was going on. What's this all about? It was Rugel who answered. The radiation counter, the planetary one, not the one we use in space, is out of order. We don't even need it this landing. There's no radiation on Laryllis. If it were the landing gear, now that would be serious. I'm just trying to tell Ring... He's trying to say I didn't check it. Ring was not to be calmed. It's my professional competence. Forget it, Bart said. If Rugel isn't sore about it, and if we don't need it for landing, why worry? He felt like Judas. Just take a look at my daybook, Ring insisted. I checked and marked it service fit. I tell you, somebody was blundering around, opening panels where they had no business tore it out by accident. Then was too much of a filthy sneak to report it and get it fixed. Bartol was on watch alone one night, said the second officer. But you wouldn't meddle with panels, would you, Bartol? Bart set his teeth, steadying his breathing as Ring turned hopefully to him. Bartol, did you, by mistake, maybe? Because if you did, it won't count against your rating, but it means a black mark against mine. Bart hid his self-contempt in sudden, tense fury. No, I didn't. You're going to accuse everybody on the Swiftwing, all the way from me to Varangil, before you can admit a mistake, aren't you? If you want somebody to blame, look in a mirror. Listen, you! Ring's pent-up rage exploded. He seized Bart by the shoulder, and Bart moved to throw him off. So that Ring's outthrust claws raked only his forearm. In pure reflex, he felt his own claws flick out. They clinched, closed, scuffled, and he felt his claws rake flesh. Half incredulous, saw the thin red line of blood welling from Ring's cheek. Then Rugel's arms were flung restrainingly around him, and the second officer was wrestling with a furious, struggling Ring. Bart looked at his red-tipped claws in ill-concealed horror, but it was lost in a general gasp of consternation. For Vorongil had flung the drive room door open, taking in the scene in one blistering glance. What's going on down here? For the first time, Bart understood Vorongil's reputation as a tyrant. One glance at Ring's bleeding face and Bart's ripped forearm, and he did not pause for breath for a good fifteen minutes by the time he finished, Bart felt he would rather Ring's claws had laid him bleeding to the bone than stand there in the naked contempt of the old Laurie's freezing eyes. Half-fledged nestlings trying to do a man's work. So, someone forgot the panel or damaged the panel by mistake. No, not another word, he commanded as Ring's crest came proudly up. I don't care who did what. Any more of this, and the one who does it can try his claws on the captain of the swiftwing. He looked ugly and dangerous. I thought better of you both. Get below, you squalling kittens. Let me not see your faces again before we land. As they went along the corridor, Ring turned to Bart, apology and chagrin in his eyes. Look, I never meant to get the bald one down on us, he said. But Bart kept his face resolutely averted. It was easier this way, without pretense of friendship. The light from the small captive sun grew more intense. Bart had never known anything like it, and was glad to slip away and put the dark contact lenses into his eyes. They made his eyes appear all enormous, dilated pupil. Fearfully, he hoped no one would notice. His arm smarted, and he did not speak to ring all through the long, slow deceleration. When the intercom ordered all crew members to the hatchway, Bart lingered a minute, pinning the yellow radiation badge in a fold of his cloak. A spasm of fear threatened to overwhelm him again, and nightmarish loneliness. He felt agonizingly homesick for his own familiar face. It seemed almost more than he could manage, To step out into the corridor full of lorry. It won't be long now. The hatch opened. Even accustomed as he was to lorry lights, Bart squeezed his eyes shut at the blue-white brilliance that assaulted him now. Then, opening slitted lids cautiously, he found that he could see. A weirdly desolate scene stretched away before them. Bare, burning sand, strewn with curiously colored rocks, lay piled in strange chaos. Then he realized there was an odd but perceptible geometry to their arrangement. They showed alternate crystal and opaque faces. Old Rugel noted his look of surprise. Never been here before? That's right. You've always worked on the Polaris run. Well, those are true rocks, but living creatures of a sort. The crystals are alive. The opaque faces are lichens that have something like chlorophyll and can make their food from air and sunlight. The rocks and lichens live in symbiosis. They have intelligence of a sort, but fortunately they don't mind us or our automatic mining machinery. Every time, though, we find some new lichen that's trying to set up a symbiote cycle with the concrete of our bunkers. And every time, Ring said cheerfully, somebody, usually me, has to see about having them scraped down and repainted. Maybe someday I'll find a paint the lichens don't like the taste of. Going to explore with Ring? Rugel asked, and Ring, always ready to let bygones be bygones, grinned and said, Sure. Bart could not face him. Barongil stopped and said, This is your first time here, young Bartal? How would you like to visit the monument with me? You can see the machinery on the way back. Relieved at not having to go with Ring, he followed the captain, falling into step beside him. They moved in silence along a smooth stone path. The crystal creatures made this road, Varongil said at last. I think they read minds a little. There used to be a very messy, rocky desert here, and we used to have to scrabble and scratch our way to the monument. Then one day a ship, not mine, touched down and discovered that there was a beautiful, smooth road leading up to the monument, and the lichens never touched that stone. But you probably had all this in school. Excited, Bartol." No, no sir, why? Eyes look a bit odd But who could blame you for being excited I never come here without remembering Razon and his crew on that long jump The longest any lorry captain ever made A blind leap in the dark, remember Bartol? Through the dark, through the void With his own crew cursing him for taking the chance No one had ever crossed between galaxies And remember, they were using the ancient math. He paused, and Bart said through a catch of breath, Quite an achievement. His badge still looked reassuringly yellow. You young people have no sense of wonder, Vorongil said. Not that I blame you. You can't realize what it was like in those days. Oh, we'd had star travel for centuries. We were beginning to stagnate. And now look at us. Oh, they derided Razon. said that even if he did find anyone, any other race, they'd be monsters with whom we could never communicate. And here we have a whole new galaxy for peaceful trade, a new mathematics that takes all the hazard out of space travel, our Mentorian friends and allies. He smiled. Don't tell the high council on me but I think they deserve a lot more credit than most Lhari care to give them. Between ourselves, I think the next panarch may see it that way. Horongil paused. Here's the monument. It lay between the crystal columns, tall of pale blue sandstone, with letters in deep shadow of such contrast that the Lhari could read them. A high, sheer, imposing steel... Barangal read the word slowly, aloud in the musical Lari language. Here, with thanks to those who watch the great night, I, Razon of Nedran, raise a stone of memory. Here we first do touch the new worlds. Let us never again fear to face the unknown, trusting that the mind of all knowledge still has many surprises in store for all the living. I think I admire courage more than anything there is, Bartol. Who else could have dared it? Doesn't it make you proud to be a Lhari? Bart had felt profoundly moved. Now he snapped back to awareness of who he was and what he was doing. So only the lorry had courage. Life has surprises, all right, Captain, he thought grimly. He glanced down at the badge strip of plastic on his arm. It began to tinge faint orange as he looked, and a chill of fear went over him. He had to get away somehow, get to cover. He looked round, and his fear was almost driven from his mind. "'Captain, the rocks! They're moving!' Varongil said, unruffled, "'Why, so they are. They do, you know. They have intelligence of a sort.' Though I've never actually seen them move before, I know they shift places overnight. I wonder what's going on. They were edging back, the path widening and changing. Oh, well, maybe they're going to do some more landscaping for us. I once knew a captain who swore they could read his mind. Bart saw the slow, inexorable deepening of his badge. He had to get away. He tensed, impatient, gripped by fists of panic. Somewhere on this world, Montano and his men were setting up their lethal radiations. Think of this. A lorry ship of our own to study. To know how it works. To see the catalyst and find out where it comes from. To read their records and star routes. Now we know we can use it without dying in the warp drive. Think of this to be human again, yet to travel the stars with men of my own race. It's worth a few deaths. Even Vorongil, standing here, talking to him, he might, Say it, you talk to him as if he'd been your father. Oh, Dad, Dad, what would you do? His voice was steady as he said, It's very good of you to show me all this, sir but the other men will call me a slacker. Hadn't I better get to a work detail? Hmm, maybe so, Feathertop, Vorongil said. Let me see. Well, down this way is the last row of bunkers. See the humps? You can check inside to see if they're full or empty and save us the trouble of exploring if they're all empty. Have a look round inside if you care to. The robot machinery's interesting. Bart tensed. He had wondered how he'd get hidden inside, but he asked, "'Not locked?' "'Locked?' The old Lari's short, yellowed crest bobbed in surprise. "'Why? Whoever comes here but our ships? "'And what could we do with the stuff but take it back with us? "'Why locked?' "'You've been on the drift too long, among those thieving humans. "'It's time you got back to live among decent folk again. "'Well, go along.' The sting of the words stiffened Bart as he took his leave. The color of the badge seemed deeper orange. When it's red, you're dead. It's true, the Lari don't steal. They don't even seem to understand dishonesty. But they lied, lied to us all. Knowing what we were like, maybe, that we'd steal their ships, their secrets, their lives... The deepening color of the badge seemed the one visible thing in a strange, glaring world. He walked along the row of bunkers, realizing he need not check if they were full or empty. The lorry wouldn't live long enough to harvest their better-than-graphite lubricant. They'd be dead. The last bunker was empty. He looked at his orange badge and stepped inside, heart pounding so loudly he thought it was an external sound. It was an external sound, a step. Don't move an inch, said a voice in Universal, and Bard froze, trembling. He looked cautiously round. Montano stood there, space-suited, his head bare, dark contact lenses blurring his eyes, and in his hand a drawn blaster was held level, trained straight at Bart's heart. End of Chapter 11
0: People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And... Thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening.
1: Back to the show. The Colors of Space, Chapter 12. After the first moment of panic, Bart realized Montano could not tell him from Alari. He remained motionless. It's me, Montano, Bart Steele. The man lowered the weapon and put it away. You nearly got yourself cut down, he said. Did you make it all right? He crossed behind Bart, inspecting the fastenings of the bunker. It's just luck I didn't shoot you first and ask questions afterward. Montano drew a deep breath and sat down on the concrete floor. Anyway, we're safe in here. We've got about half an hour before the radiation will reach lethal intensity. It has a very short half-life though, only about 12 minutes. If we spend an hour in here, we'll be safe enough. Did you have any trouble putting the radiation counter out of commission? So, in half an hour, they would all be dead. Ring, Rugel, Captain vorongil two dozen Lari, all dead, so that Montano could have a Lari ship to play with. And what then? More killing? More murder? Would Montano start killing everyone who tried to get the secret of the drive from him? The Lari had the star drive. Maybe it belonged to them. Maybe not. Maybe humans had a right to have it, too. But this wasn't the right way. Maybe they didn't deserve it. He turned to look at Montano. The man was leaning back, whistling softly through his teeth. He felt like telling Montano that he couldn't go through with it. He started to speak, then stopped, his blood icing over. If I try to argue with him, I'll never get out of here alive. It means too much to him. Do I just salve my conscience with that then? Sit here and let them die? With a shock of remembrance, it came to Bart that he had a weapon. He was armed this time with the energon beam that was part of his uniform. Montano had evidently forgotten it. Could he kill Montano, even to save two dozen larry? He reached hesitantly toward the beam gun, quickly thumbed the catch down to the lowest point, which was simple shock. He froze as Montano looked in his direction hand out of sight under his cloak. How many Lari on board? Twenty-three and three mentorians. Anyone have to be behind shielding, say in the drive chamber? No, I think they're all outside. Montano nodded idly. Then we won't have to worry. Bart slipped his hand toward his weapon. Montano saw the movement, cocked his head in question. Then, as understanding flashed over his face, his hand darted to his own gun. But Bart had pressed the charge of his, and Montano slumped over without a cry. He looked so limp that Bart gasped. Was he dead? Hastily, he fumbled the lax hand for a pulse. After a long, endless moment, he saw Montano's chest twitch and knew the man was breathing. Montana would be safe here in the bunker. Hastily, Bart looked at his timepiece. Half an hour before the radiation was lethal for the lorry. Was it all ready for him? Shakily, he unfastened the door. He ran out into the glare, seeing as he ran that his badge was tinged with an ever-darkening gold-orange. Montano had said there was a safety margin, but maybe he was wrong. Maybe all Bart would accomplish would be his own death. He ran back along the line of bunkers, his heart pounding with his racing feet. Two crewmen came along the line, young, white-crested Larry from the other watch. He gasped, Where is the captain? Down that way. What's wrong, Bartal? But Bart was gone, his muscles aching with the unaccustomed effort inside gravity. Putting on speed, he saw the tall, austere shape of Vorongil, his banded cloak dark against the glaring light. Vorongil turned, startled, at the sound of his running feet. Suddenly, Bart realized that he was still holding his energon ray. In shock and revulsion, he dropped it at Vorongil's feet. "'Captain, go warn the men. They'll all be dead in half an hour. There are lethal radiations.' "'What?' Are you sunstruck? Bart stopped cold. Never once had it crossed his mind what he would say to Varangil or how he would make the captain believe his story without revealing Montano. He started to hold up his badge, realized the Lari captain could not see color, and dropped it again, while Varangil bent over to pick up the fallen gun. Are you sunstruck or mad, Bartol? What's this babble? Captain, everybody on the swift wing. And speak, Lari, Vorongil demanded, and Bart realized that in his excitement he had been shouting in universal. He drew a long, deep breath. Captain, there are lethal radiations being released here, he said. You have just barely half an hour to gather all the men and get them behind shielding. The radiation counter is out of order, Vorongil remarked, unruffled. How can you possibly know? Bart stood in despair. Could he say, a ship has landed here? Could he say, check that bunker? Even if Montana was a would-be murderer, he was human, and Bart could not betray him to the lorry. There had been too much betrayal. His voice rose in sudden hysteria. Captain, there's no time. I tell you, you'll all be dead if you don't believe me. Get the men into the ship. Get them behind shielding and then check my story. I'm not... He had gone this far. He might as well go the whole way. I'm not a lorry. What? One of the crewmen came dashing up, his crest sweat-streaked. Captain... Rugel has collapsed. We don't know what's wrong with him. Radiation sickness, said Bart, and Varangil reached out, catching his shoulder in a cruel, taloned grip. Bart said desperately, I'm not a Lhari. I signed on in disguise. I knew they meant to take the ship, but I can't let you all die. How can I make you believe me? Here. In desperation, Bart reached up. Pain stabbed his eyeballs, fierce, blinding, as he pulled out one of the contact lenses. He could not see the captain's face through the light, but suddenly two larry were holding his arms. The fear of death was on Bart, but it no longer mattered. He saw, through watering eyes, the ever-deepening orange of the badge disappearing. "'Here!' he said, tearing at it. "'Radiation!' You must be able to see how dark it is, even if it's just darkness. Suddenly, Vorongil was shouting, but Bart could not hear. Two men were dragging him along. They hustled him up the ramp of the ship. He could see again, but his eyes were blurred, and he felt sick, color spinning before his eyes, a nauseated ringing in his head. At first, he thought it was his ears ringing. Then he made out the rising, shrieking wail and fall of the emergency siren, steps running, shouting voices, the slow clang of doors. Someone was pushing at him, babbling words in Lari, but he heard them through an ever-increasing distance. Barongil's face bent over his, only a blurred crimson blob that flashed away like a vanishing star in the viewport. It flamed out into green darkness, vanished, and Bart fell through what seemed to be a bottomless chasm of starless night. When he woke, acceleration had its crushing hand on his chest. He tried to move, discovered that he was strapped hard into a bunk, and fainted again. Suddenly, the pressure was gone, and he was lying at ease on the smooth sheets of a hospital bunk. His eyes were covered with a light bandage and there was a sharp pain in his left arm. He tried to move it, and found it was tied down. "'I think he's coming round,' said Vorongil's voice. "'Yes, and a lot too soon for me,' said a bitter voice, which Bart recognized as that of the ship's medic. "'Freak!' "'Listen, Baldy,' said Vorongil. "'Whoever he is, he could have been blinded or killed.' You wouldn't be alive now if it wasn't for that freak, as you call him. Bartol. can you hear me? How much light can your eyes stand? As much as any mentorian. Bart found he could move his right arm and twitch the bandage away. Barangil and the medic stood over him. In the other infirmary bunk, a form was lying, covered with a white sheet. Sickly, Bart wondered if they had found Montano. Varangil followed the direction of his eyes. Yes, he said, his voice held deep bitterness. Poor old Rugal is dead. He didn't get much of the radiation, but his heart wouldn't stand it, and gave out. He bowed his head. He was bald in the service of the ships when my crest was new sprouted, he said in deep grief. Bart felt the shock of that, even through his own fear. He looked down at his left arm. It was strapped to a splint, and fluid was dripping slowly into the vein there. Varongil nodded. I expect you feel pretty sick. You've got a good dose of radiation yourself, but we've given you a couple of transfusions. One of the Mentorians match your blood type, fortunately. It was a close call. The medic was looking down in ill-disguised curiosity. "'Fantastic,' he said. "'I don't suppose you'd tell me who changed your looks. "'I admit I wouldn't believe it "'until I had a look at your foot bones under the fluoroscope.' "'Vorongil said quietly, Bartol, I don't suppose that's your real name. "'Why did you do it?' "'I couldn't see you all die, sir.' Bart said, not expecting them to believe him. No more than that. The medic said roughly in Larry, It's a trick, sir. No more. A trick to make us trust him. Why would he risk his own life then? Varongil asked. No, it's more than that. He hesitated. We checked the bunkers in radiation suits before we took off we found a man in one of them. Was he dead? Bart whispered. No, Varongil said quietly. Thank God. It was a heartfelt explosion. Then, apprehensively, or did you kill him? What do you think we are? Vorongil said incredulously. Indeed, no. His own men have probably found him by now. I don't imagine he got half as much radiation as you did. Bart surveyed the needle in his arm. Why are you taking all this trouble if I'm going to be put out of the way? You must have some funny ideas about us, Vrongil said, shaking his head. That would be a fine way to reward you for saving all of our lives. No, you're not to be killed. If I had my way, the old medic began, and suddenly Varongil flew into a rage. Get out! The medic went stiffly through the door, and Varongil stood gazing down at Bart, shaking his yellowed crest. I don't know what to say to you. It was a brave thing you did, but perhaps no braver than you've done all along. Are you a mentorian? Only Half. Strange, Varangil said, looking into space, that I could talk to you as I did by the monument, and you knew what I meant. But, yes, you would understand. Abruptly, he recalled himself, and his voice was thin and cold. I haven't quite decided what to do. I haven't spoken of this to the crew yet. The fewer who know about this, the better. I told them, you got a heavy dose of radiation and you're too sick to see visitors. He sounded kinder when he said, It's true, you know. It won't hurt you to get your strength back. He went out, and Bart wondered, Get my strength back, for what? He lay back, feeling weaker than he realized. It was a relief to know he wasn't going to be killed out of hand. And somehow, he didn't believe he was going to be killed at all. It wasn't like being a prisoner. The medic brought him plenty of food, urging him to eat. You need plenty of protein after radiation burns. And if he stayed in the bunk, it was only because he felt too weak to get up. Actually, he was suffering from delayed emotional shock, as well as from radiation. He was content to let things drift. Inevitably, the time came when he had to think about what he had done. He had betrayed Montano. He had been false to the men who sent him. But they don't know the Lari, his conscience replied, justifying what he had done. You sided with the Lari against your own people. You spoilt our chances of learning about the Lari fuel catalyst. I've done something better than stealing a secret by stealth. I've proved that humans and Lari can communicate that they can trust each other. It's only their looks that are strange. A kind, generous man is a kind, generous man, whether his name is Raynor III or Vorongil. But who's going to know it? I know it, and the truth comes out sooner or later. Somehow, a better understanding between man and Laurie will come from this. Secure in the knowledge, he turned over and went peacefully to sleep. When he woke again, he felt better. The Mentorian girl, Meta, was sitting quietly between the bunks, watching him. He started to turn over, flinched at the pain in his arm. Yes, she said. We're giving you one last transfusion, plasma this time. It's Larry, but if you know that much, you know it won't hurt you. She came and inspected the needle in his wrist, and Bart caught her hand with his free one. Maida, does anyone else know? She looked down with a troubled smile. I don't think so. I was off watch, waiting for cold sleep. We're just about to make the long jump, when Varangil came to my quarters. I was startled almost out of my wits. He asked if I could keep a secret. Then he told me about you. Oh, Bart. Her small, soft hand closed convulsively on his. I was so afraid. I knew they wouldn't kill you, but I was afraid. Yet they had killed David Briscoe, Bart thought, and hunted down two of his friends. It was the only thing he couldn't square with his perception of the lorry. It didn't fit. He could understand that they had shot down the robot cab with Edmund Briscoe in it in pure self-defense, and that knowledge had taken off the edge of the horror. But the death of young Briscoe and everyone he had talked to could not be explained away. You seem very sure they wouldn't have killed me, Meta," he said, carefully clasping his hand around hers. They wouldn't, she affirmed, but they could... Make you forget. A small chill went over Bart. He let go of her hand and lay staring bleakly at the wall. He supposed that this was his probable fate. Remembering the tragic tone of Raynor III when he said, I won't remember you, he gritted his teeth, feeling his face twist convulsively. Meta, watching, misunderstood. Arm hurting? I'll have that needle out of your vein in a few minutes now. When she had freed his arm and put away the apparatus, she came to his side. Bart, how did it happen? How did they find you out? Suddenly, the longing for human contact was too much for Bart, and the knowledge of his secret intolerable. The lorry could find out what he knew, if they wanted to know very simply. He was in their power. It didn't matter anymore. Telling of the story took a long time, and when he finished, Maida's soft, small kitten face was compassionate. I'm glad you decided what you did, she whispered. It's what a mentorian would have done. I know that other races call us slaves of the Lhari. We aren't. We're working in our own way to show the Lhari that human beings can be trusted. The other people's... They hold away from the Lari, fighting them with words, even though they're afraid to fight them with weapons, carrying on the war that they're afraid to fight. Did it ever occur to you, all the peoples of all the planets keep saying, we're as good as the Lari, but only the Mentorians are willing to prove it? Bart, a Lari ship can't get along in our galaxy without Mentorians anymore. It may be slower than trying to take the warp drive by force, or stealing it by spying, but when we learn to endure it, I have faith that we'll get it." Bart, although moved by Mada's philosophy, couldn't quite share it. It still seemed to him that the mentorians were lacking in something: independence maybe, or drive. "I wasn't thinking about anything like that," he said honestly. "'It was simply that I couldn't let them die. "'After all,' he was speaking more to himself than to the girl, "'it's their star drive. "'They found it, and they've given us star trade and star travel, "'cheaply and with profit to both sides. "'I hope we'll get the star drive someday, "'but if we got it by mass murder, "'it would sow the seeds of a hatred between men and Laurie "'that would never end.' It wouldn't be worth it, Maida. Nothing would be worth that. We've got enough hate already. Bart was still in his bunk, but beginning to fret at staying there when the familiar trembling of Acceleration 2 started to run through the ship. It was, by now, so familiar to him that he hardly gave it a second thought. But Maida panicked. What's happening? Bart, what is it? Why are we under acceleration again? Shift to warp, he said without thinking, and her face went deathly white. So, that's it, she whispered. Barangil, no wonder he wasn't worried about what I would find out from you or what you knew. She drew herself together in her chair, a miserable, shrunken, terrified little figure, bravely trying to control her terror. Then she held out her hands to Bart. "'I'm... I'm ashamed,' she whispered. "'When you've been so brave, I shouldn't be afraid to die.' Maida, what's the matter? What are you afraid of?' It suddenly swept over Bart what she meant and what she feared. "'But don't you understand, Maida? he exclaimed. "'Humans can live through the warp drive. No drugs, no cold sleep.' Maida, I've done it dozens of times. But you're a lorry. It burst from her uncontrollable. She stopped, looked at him in consternation. He smiled bitterly. No, Maida, they didn't do a thing to my internal organs, to my brain, to the tissues of my body. Just a little plastic surgery on my hands, my feet, and my face. Maida. "'There's nothing to be afraid of. "'Nothing,' he repeated. "'She twisted her small hands together. "'I'm trying to... to believe that,' she whispered. "'But all my life I've known.' "'The screaming whine in the ship "'gripped them with a strange, "'clawing lassitude and discomfort. "'Bart, gasping under it, heard the girl moan, "'saw her slump lax in her chair, half fainting.' Her face was so deathly white that he began seriously to be afraid she would die of her fear. Fighting his own agonizing weakness, he pulled himself upright. He reached the girl, dug his claws cruelly into her. Girl, get hold of yourself! Fight it! Fight it! The more scared you are, the worse it's going to be! She was rigid, trembling, in a trance of terror. "'You rotten little coward!' he yelled at her. "'Snap out of it! "'Or are all you Mentorians so gutless "'that you believe any half-baked folk tale the lorry pass off on you? "'You and your fine talk about earning the star drive. "'What would you do with it after you got it "'if you die of fear when you try?' "'Oh, you!' she flung her head back, "'her eyes blazing with rage. "'Anything you can do... I can do, too. He saw life flowing back into her face, and the trembling now was with fury, not fear. She was fighting the pain, the crawling itch in her nerve ends, the terrible sense of draining disorganization. Bart felt his hold on himself breaking. He whispered hoarsely, That's the girl. Don't be scared if I... Black out for a minute. He held on to consciousness with his last courage, afraid if he fainted, the girl would collapse again. She reached for him, and Bart, starved for some human touch, drew her into his arms. They clung together, and he felt her wet face against his own, the softness of her trembling hands. She was still crying a little. Then the blackness closed on him, as if endless and the gray blur of warp-drive peak blotted his brain into nothingness. He came out of it to feel her cheek soft against his, her head trustfully on his shoulder. He said huskily, "'All right, Meta. "'I'm fine,' she murmured shakily. He tightened his hands a little, realizing that for the first time in months he had physically forgotten his Lhari disguise— that Maida had given him this priceless reassurance that he was human. But, as if suddenly aware of it again, she looked up at him and drew hesitantly away. Don't, Nada. Am I so horrible to you, then? So repulsive? No, it's only... She bit her lip. It's just that the Lhari are... I can't quite explain it. Different. Bart finished for her. At first, I was repelled, physically repelled by myself, and by them. It was like living among weird animals, and being one of the animals. And then, one day, Ring was just another kid. He had gray skin, and long claws, and white hair, just the way I once had pinkish skin, and short fingernails, and reddish hair. "'But the difference wasn't that I was human inside and he wasn't. "'If you skinned Ring and skinned me, we'd be almost identical. "'And all of a sudden then, Ring and Vorongil and all the rest were men to me, just people. "'I thought you Mentorians, after living with the Lhari all these years, would feel that.' "'She said in slow wonder, "'We've lived and worked side by side with them all these years.' yet kept so apart. I've defended the lorry to you, yet it took you to explain them to me. His arm was still around her, her head still lying on his shoulder. Bart was just beginning to wonder if he might kiss her when the infirmary